1: Hey everybody, this is Phil Town.
0: And this is Danielle Town.
1: And we're here for the Invested Podcast where we are actually really deep explorers into the <laughs> world of investing. Um, <laughs> where we're kind of going after the gold, huh? We're going Ooh. after the gold. That's really what we're doing. We're we're exploring what is for the gold? gold. What kind of gold, gold are you is, exploring for? It's financial independence and having the money to And to having the skill and knowledge to know that you don't need a ton of money because you can always make good returns on your investing. I like that. You don't need a job that makes you millions of dollars because you're going to get really good returns on your investing. And going for the gold and exploring means that we are going after... Wow. What, do, what, what was that the Spanish explorers went after? Like the city of gold, right? It was like this El Dorado. They were going after El Dorado, <laughs> this mystical city of gold in the new world. Hmm. And, and we're going after an El Dorado, What we know it exists. This is, the, this is the best part. The Spanish just thought it did, but we know it does because we've had explorers ahead of us who found it. We got Ben Graham and Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger and Manish Pabrai and Guy Spear and and hundreds of others who have found this amazing city of gold and who've popularized the fact that it exists by their books and their, their lectures and their letters. And we've learned from them and thousands of us have also gotten to that city. And so what makes it so mystical is that the rest of the world doesn't believe it exists. This is the fun part about this. The rest of the world of investing does not believe it's possible to get a high return on your investing with low risk. That's just impossible. And Hmm. because they think that, they leave the door open for us in some very interesting ways. Um, Primarily, they leave the door open for us to find wonderful businesses that are on sale because they don't think things go on sale. They, the very, the very philosophy of investing, the very, the very structure of, of the investing theory says that it's impossible to beat the market. You can't beat the market and you can't get a high return with low risk because high returns only come because of luck and taking a lot of chance and risk. And, um, and that's because price and value are always the same in the market and, I mean, the the vast majority of the the investors in the world are taught that and believe that. And even if they don't believe that, they act like they do. And they go out there with these diversified funds. And when something starts to go down, they all sell it off. And then we get an opportunity to have great returns at low risk. So Hmm. that's what this podcast is all about.
0: I think also El Dorado. the the, the Eldorado is <laughs> to be somewhat metaphysical within ourselves and the experience and the process and the fun of learning, investing and practicing investing. And for me, I'm, I'm just not that motivated by the like external stuff, although it's certainly extremely important, but I feel like... Having, having both sides, having the yin and the yang is the real city of gold.
1: Well, both sides. Yeah. Does that
0: make sense? But meaning yeah, like sure. the experience and the result, both are important. Yes. But if you're going only for the result and you're like planning to suffer along the way, you probably aren't going to reach that result that you want.
1: Right. So. I certainly wouldn't have. I, There's I, I no way even, I would no. have gotten there. There's no way. because. I just don't do suffering well. I just don't. <laughs> Neither do I. <laughs> I mean, i i I've been so bullheaded in living my life that I only want to do the things that I am passionate about, that I love doing. And when I stop loving them, I stop doing them. Mm-hmm. And I find I find where this is taking me. You know, where where's my dharma going from here? Right. I'm I'm. I'm in an eddy, I'm going around in circles, you know, to go back to river jargon, I'm going around in circles on this river, I'm going nowhere and I need to change. And this is, this is suffering to me is that I'm not experiencing joy in my life. And I'm serious. If, if this process of investing, of seeking out high returns with low risk, if that wasn't joyful to me, if that wasn't fun to do, oh my gosh, I would have never pursued this. I would have never stayed with it. No yeah, chance. Totally. Because totally. I, I thought it was going to be a horrible thing. I thought it was going to be this I really thought I was I was when I started with my apprenticeship with the wolf, I I I thought this was gonna be miserable.
0: Why did you and, think that? I thought you've never said that before. And I'm kind of surprised because you love numbers and spreadsheets.
1: Well, I didn't know I loved them then. <laughs> <laughs> you've only met me since then. That's right. <laughs> so you didn't remember you don't know me back when I was a river guide you know and before that i was uh, I was in the army and I mean numbers not nah, honestly uh, not at all and um I didn't know I had any kind of aptitude for that I, maybe I don't even have an aptitude for it maybe all that happened was I really liked the process and because I do and numbers are part of it I started liking numbers I don't know yeah I don't, which is chicken and which is egg you know yeah but I do know that when I went to to, uh, this guy's house at, in the winter time, I thought, you know, this is going to be a great place to go get warm instead of living in Flagstaff in my bus in November. <laughs> so it wasn't that, oh, i have been going, you know, I mean, I've done some really crappy jobs in my life cause I had to. And, and, uh, I didn't, and that's kind of formed my view that it's just, this is more painful than it's worth. I mean, this isn't to take anything away from the medical industry or the medical appliance industry. But I got a job in in the winter in San Francisco one year, and I lived in this derelict apartment with hookers queuing up literally underneath the steps, which is where their pimps would pick them up. And upstairs, there wasn't a stick of furniture. I was living in a sleeping bag. Renovating this guy's kitchen, and you know how much I know about kitchen But you were doing I'm the renovations
0: sure. yourself, like in I, exchange
1: to live there, in exchange to live there. And I had knocked down these lathe plaster walls, which means the whole air of this place was full of 100 year old plaster oh, that God. wouldn't disappear. Yeah, and I, yeah, it was, it was. Funky, oh, and I then I'd go downstairs. That part of
0: it, I remember you, you took me by there in San Francisco, and, <laughs> but I didn't remember the part about you fixing the
1: kitchen. Yeah, I think it was like Devisadero and Fell or something. There's a Bank of America down the road there that got robbed very famously once. And <laughs> I mean, it it wasn't the the great part of town that it it may have become since, because it's fairly near and haight Ashbury and Hate. Yeah, has become, of it course, was like really a pretty nice and so. area. And I was kind of like, um,
0: <laughs> I guess this was yeah. different back then. <laughs>
1: Yeah, exactly. And in the so, land
0: of bazillionaires in San Francisco these days.
1: No kidding. I'm sure it's gentrified massively. But at the time, I would go downstairs and there was the orthotics shop that I got hired into to work um, in the wintertime as from uh, one of the people I took down the Grand Canyon. And I'm telling you, man, that was, that was tough. I mean, it was, you know, army green walls and, and three Russian guys who were Russian immigrants who were 80 years old and knew how to... Do artificial legs, and I mean, I was down in there. uh, It was this was not a passion of mine. I can tell you that. Mm. Hard. It was a hard job, and Mm. I just really appreciate the the guy named Walter Cognac who let me work there because I was so incompetent. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know how to do anything. I I didn't learn much in shop in high school. I mean, he the first thing he gave me to do something with was a leg brace. He said, "Here, drill the holes in this." So I knew enough to tap it with a hammer. What I didn't know is that when you're going through steel um, using a bench uh, drill, you, you have to drill a pilot hole, a small hole, or the the steel is so sticky or some, some, I don't know if that's the word for it, that when you put a big drill bit through it, it'll stick. Hmm. And this, the drill press is going 2,500 RPM, right? 2,500 revolutions per minute. And when it sticks, that means that the leg brace starts going 2,500 RPMs per minute instead of, and if you're holding it, bad things happen. And that's exactly what happened. I put it in a block. I ran this this quarter-inch drill through it. It stuck, and it took that thing and spun it into my hands. Oh, God. And I was instantly bleeding from every part of both hands, it just, or one hand, rather. And, uh Walter looked at me like, ah, we're, we're starting at the bottom here. Okay. <laughs> he pointed to the restroom and said, there's some band-aids over there. <laughs> <laughs> so I've done some bad jobs. I've done, now these are not bad jobs if this is your Dharma, but this is definitely pushing me out to do something else mm-hmm, for sure. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, yeah. Uh, so the, the, the spreadsheets and, and the has, numbers
0: just started to come pretty quickly
1: you could feel it. It came, it came because I started to understand that this was about me more than anything. Mm. I, I'm, I'm, I'm only starting kind of after all these years kind of coming to realize that with working with you on this. And I'm starting to see things from other really good ruler investors that point in that direction that I just never really saw before. I'd read the words, but you know, it wouldn't really impact me. Like what? And I was just, well, Lee Liu was just talking about what Lee Lu, of course, is this very, we've talked about him here mm-hmm. before. Um, he's the only guy Charlie Munger ever gave any money to, mm-hmm. to invest in, and, and um, it's a phenomenal investor, 30% compounded returns. And he said, from his point of view, investing is simply learning about yourself. I thought you'd really like I that. I do. It's about learning about yourself. It's about learning about what you love. It's about learning what you're really yeah. good at.
0: It's, it's learning you? what you're bad at and figuring out how to compensate and not make yourself your own worst enemy. Yeah, I totally agree.
1: Yeah. And he said when you and you do that and then investing is just magnifying that. Mm. I thought that was mm. interesting. Like, right? you know, I'm guessing that he means that once we learn about this is what I am really interested in, then investing is just digging deeper digging deeper, going deeper and going wider, going Mm -hmm. deeper and going Mm -hmm. wider. And you just keep doing that. And that's what makes it such a journey. It's like, man, alive, I'm down the road, gosh, uh, 1980 to now we're talking 40 Mm -hmm. years, 40 years now. And, um, it's more fascinating than ever. Yeah. It is more fascinating than ever. I I could never see stopping this. It's just too much
0: fun. (laughs) (laughs) So
1: anyway, (laughs) That's what, that's we're, what doing. we're doing. You know, that's what we're it's doing. It's interesting here. that
0: you say the Lu. Where did you find that? Or maybe you don't remember where Lu said that.
1: Wow. I got a recording of him speaking to Columbia university students. And I think it was okay. on that.
0: Um, I just, I've noticed more and more as I'm kind of getting to the point where I kind of understand the nuts and bolts well enough Um that I'm just noticing how many great investors don't talk that much about the individual process of what they do. They talk much more about themselves and their own foibles and their own um, view on life and the wisdom they've found. Like just sort of, it's so much more experiential and self-reflective than, I guess sort of the stereotype is about investors, like, and the guys on Wall Street. Exactly, they don't, they don't do, do that. that. No, that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, and and I I just see such a stark contrast there between those types, the speculators, as you would say, and the um the long term investors. I think there's something about being long term that forces you into really thinking deeply about the future, about how well you can predict about who these people are, are going to be stewards of your money. It's just, it really lends itself to being a much deeper thinker than a, a quick choice kind of person. And, and I like that. It's
1: to make me think about sort of the, the moral qualities of capitalism versus the sort of, um, I don't know the immorality that people point to with regard to capitalism. Yeah, that's a really
0: interesting. You you see a lot of that,
1: right? You see a lot of that right Mm -hmm. now, and for good for good reason, right? You've got Elizabeth Warren out there, really pounding at the evils of capitalism and how she wants to to fix it with regulation and law. And um, unfortunately, that kind of thing tends to stymie both sides of capitalism. You end up squishing down the the really good side, the really moral side. And I'm just thinking that we occupy a space as investors in capitalism that um, would be difficult to impossible in a socialistic environment. And that space is a moral space. It's basically saying, look, we've got entrepreneurs there who are coming up with this wonderful idea. We have people who are ready to go to work on that idea. The workers Mm -hmm. wanna do it. Um, What we're missing is capital. We need capital in order to make that Mm -hmm. happen and the kind of capital that we need is long-term capital. We need capital that believes in what we're doing that is looking forward to having this thing, this new thing in the world 20 years from mm-hmm. now and to benefit from it then. And uh, unfortunately, what Wall Street has created is is sort of the evil twin yeah. which yeah. is, you know, how are you doing for me this next yeah, 3 months? Yeah. Yeah. And and that creates all sorts of of aberrations in the moral code of what CEOs are trying to accomplish out there mm-hmm. and so you end up with CEOs like you know a Steve Jobs and a and Elon Musk and a you know a, well you know a, a Schultz at at Starbucks and these guys who have this long-term vision um I mean the guys the guys that uh chick-fil-A right the the uh, Truett family long term vision of where this is going and a moral vision of what this can be and a moral code that fits in there I and mean, you don't have to agree with them right I mean you don't it's not about that it's about them walking their talk mm-hmm. and being surrounded by people with money even even a thousand dollars who are supporting that vision and want to see it in the world yeah. and that's the, that's the space we occupy as ruler type investors as buffett style investors we want to build we want to see things grow that we want in the world. And that's, to me, it's such a, it's such a moral impulse to support that. I completely
0: agree a thousand percent. It's entirely about lifting your own values up and saying, yeah, I'm going to stand behind this. And those values can be reflected in capitalism. And yet because of so many people doing it the other way, we don't have that view out there of investors. And I think that's, I mean, as somebody who, you know, lived most of my life with a negative view of it, because um, I didn't understand what you did at all. it, it It's unfortunate. It's just really unfortunate. And I'm yeah. glad that we're I mean, talking it about it. At least into... we're sending like some vibe into the world, letting people know. And I know everybody listening yeah. is telling people they know and their families and, and friends about what investing really is. So we're making some kind of a dent, but, um, and I know Buffett's trying and he and Jamie Dimon wrote that great op-ed in the wall street journal last year. Like people are putting it out there, but I haven't seen a lot of changes. There's kind of these like surface changes, like the new, I keep calling it new. It's not really new anymore. The like effort to promote um, ESG, uh, initiatives right. and companies like BlackRock just announced they're good, they're going to push clients towards um, ESG oriented indexes and that's supposed uh-huh. to be like a great moral victory I think but I don't really get it <laughs> like you yeah. you guys still don't know what you're buying they still don't know what you don't they know own what you're like <laughs> <laughs> when you're owning a exactly. hundred
1: companies, you cannot know all of them. A hundred? How about a thousand? Yeah, or a thousand. And it's just—I it, mean, it, I like—I like, like the idea, really
0: but it's—it to me, it's such a PR push. So
1: it is, and it just drives lip yeah. service. And this is—I I, Buffett and, and Munger talked about this they did a, at the meeting that bit. we
0: were at. Mm-hmm. Was that the last one
1: about how Berkshire is being pushed to join into this? You know this report that they would create. And, and Buffett was just like, you know, we're not going to push paper, you know, to pretend we're morally sanctified. We're not going to spend time on that basically, which I totally agree with. Yep. Me too. So, so that's, okay. So that's the introduction to what we do here at the podcast. (laughs) If you haven't joined us
0: before, Um, so if you haven't joined us before, we get a little off track sometimes, but you know, that's part of the charm. <laughs> so we were yeah. going to play one of our fantastic listener questions. Should we go ahead and play oh, that, we Dad?
1: Yeah, we should. Yeah.
0: All it. right, guys. Go for it. We're going to we play go. this question from Toby, and, um, and then we'll talk about it a little bit, and then we'll really get into it next episode. That's the plan.
1: And by the way, Toby, I'm excited that you're going to be in the San Diego workshop, because that's coming right up, and we'll see All you right. there.
0: here's the question. This is, by the way, a series called Quick Questions. <laughs> hey, Phil and Danielle. This is Toby from Melbourne, Australia. Phil, I'm really looking forward to attending your event at the end of January in San Diego uh, 2020. So my question is, what are the resources that you're using to locate events and to get information on events. So something major like um, like Boeing at the moment is a bit of a standout, and I believe that's probably reality because it's, um, it affects people's lives and people have lost their lives. But for other companies um, where the information is not in the news all the time, Where are you getting your information? And then where are you getting the information when you really want to go into depth about those events?
1: Thank you very much.
0: Thank you, Toby.
1: Yeah, and dang, thanks for coming from Australia. I didn't pick up on that the first time around when I listened to the question. and So you're coming out from Australia and and joining us, so that's great. I'm really appreciative of you taking uh, the time and effort to you know, just really get deeper into this. So
0: the question is, what sources do we use to learn about less front page type of companies? So like he said, Boeing, you know, front page all the time. It's pretty easy to find out about this ginormous event in which people have lost their lives and which people's lives are being affected in other ways. And, you know, that one's an obvious one. How do we find out about events um, in less front page companies and maybe we should start by defining event for everybody who hasn't heard us talk about that before
1: all right fire away
0: so an event is a short term meaning so in my mind i think of it as like a six month to two year kind of situation and you may have a different timeline Um, (laughs) in which a company is facing some sort of problem that is making its stock price go down. But in my opinion, as an investor, the stock price is going to go back up again once that problem is fixed. And the problem obviously has to be fixable. And I have to know how the company is going to come out of it. So if I can understand how they're going to fix this problem that it is a short-term problem that they will come out of, then that's something that has pushed the price down, um, making it a good deal for me, the long-term investor.
1: Okay, pretty good. I'm going to simplify it a bit. I'm just going to say that an event is something that happens to either a company or an industry or the entire economy that creates a lot of fear. (laughs) And that
0: that simplifies it. Drives
1: down the price. (laughs) (laughs) If there's no fear, (laughs) then you can have all the sort of front page articles that you want about what's going on with this company in in some negative way, but it's not an event in my book. An event is literally an opportunity for us to invest, and we buy fear. That's what we buy. So, um, I need I need to see where the fear is and you're smiling like no, I don't know. No, it's fear. That F E A R. Yeah. Fear.
0: I don't I don't buy what? it. I don't buy that there has to be this this great fear level. Like the example that you gave me back when we first talked about events and you probably said something like that and I was probably like what the heck does that mean? The example you gave me was that there was a company that made T-shirts out of cotton and cotton prices dropped because of the Arab Spring. And the South, the South in general, started planting cotton because they knew that they would be able to get a crop within a few years. And the prices, or sorry, prices went up. And so they were going to make prices drop because there would be more supply. And so this company... Um, had this short-term event in which their stock price dropped like crazy because everybody was thinking oh like their prices are going to go way up and they're going to have problems and you saw it and you saw that there would be cotton available to them and they would be able to drop their prices again and they would be able to come out of it so that doesn't sound mm-hmm. that fearful to me that just sounds like a okay. straightforward short-term versus long-term perspective.
1: Okay. So if you own a huge pile of this company as a fund manager, because these are the people that we are um, interested in having, having fear. <laughs> we want them to, <laughs> we want, in the abstract. We want them to have fear <laughs> so that they'll bail out. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, when this company, this is Gildan,
0: yes. Canadian
1: Gil company. Dan. And when they, and to the point of the question, when they came out very publicly and made statements, their CEO said very explicitly, we're going to lose money for this next mm-hmm. year. We're going to lose it. And we're not going to be able to make our projections at all. Then what happens in the hearts of the people who have put themselves on the line as analysts for a big fund to tell the fund manager to buy that stock, you know, 6 months earlier is that they're in they're immediately thrown into an oh my gosh situation. I have just totally screwed up. I didn't see this coming. I could get fired for this. I have put this fund manager in a position where They're going to be very unhappy with me because they bought this stock at 44 and it's now at 40. Mm -hmm. And they don't take that kind of thing lightly. And I am now scared. That could probably happen
0: behind the scenes. Yeah.
1: Yep. So that's what's going on. And then the fund manager also is there going, oh, man, I'm going to get burned on this thing. I can't believe that analyst put me into this. And then there's some other guy from Goldman Sachs who wants my job, and this is a great way for him to get it because I just lost 10% of the investment in this thing, um, really frustrated and angry about this, and I'm getting out. I'm totally getting mm-hmm. out. All right? Now, the reason that we got to have this emotion involved is because a lot of work on a lot of layers by a lot of people goes into a fund manager deciding, yeah, I'm going to put my money in this company. hmm it's there. It's a almost a committee decision, mm-hmm. in in most of There are a lot of, of people involved. yeah. S- a lot of people involved, and now they're all wrong, right? They 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 should have seen the Arab Spring coming. It was all over the newspaper. Everybody's getting upset in the Middle East. It doesn't just happen overnight, and we didn't see it. We didn't react to it, and now we look dumb. And so everybody is afraid for their job. That's that's the main thing that's happening. Is that this fear starts to impact, right? Now, if they don't do the right thing right away, then their fear could grow. And they know that from in the past, being in a theater, for, as an example, where somebody smells smoke and starts to get out of the theater, and you don't go. You go, oh, I'm not worried about that. And then the theater burns mm-hmm. down. And you've been through that experience, and it's terrifying. And so you just go, oh, well, okay. We are out of here. The fear has to be enough to drive them out of an existing locked-in position um, so that they will, in fact, pull the trigger. And it's got to be sharp and pointed, or they're not going to do it. It's, it's, You've got to reverse the momentum of this trade. And in order to do that, they've got to see that this is going to last a while. And, and, and by that, what builds the fear is that a while— Means this is where I think I go a little longer than the six months. Although that that might do it, I like to see like this is going to last a year. Whatever going on there, because a year is infinity for these people, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? They they don't think in terms of a year. If if thing if a thing has gone into an uncertainty zone, which is the the right word to use here, uncertainty about what Gildan's future stock prices might be. If it's gone into that level of uncertainty. And it's going to stay there for a year. Then I have no alternative than to just get out of here because I don't know what's going to happen. And I think that is deeply fear based in my view. But
0: I guess like, I mean, yes, like everything you're saying, you're giving a scenario in which people sort of talk about how they're scared. Is that is that important? I'm not sure that's important to the event scenario. You know, like, it could also be, like, an alternative scenario in which all these people who chose to buy Gildan sort of sit in a conference room and say, well, that sucks. Hmm, what should we do? Very calmly, no fear. Maybe we should sell it because otherwise we have to explain to our clients why we still own a company that's dropping like crazy and... Maybe we'll rebound in two years, but we're not really sure, as you just pointed out. Who knows? Maybe it won't. And they all sort of very calmly sit around and go, yeah, let's sell it. Yeah, it's a good idea. All right. We feel good about that.
1: Well, so you have the view, and this is not impossible. You have a view of these Wall Street as intrepid (laughs) warriors who, when faced with a problem... I did not mean to give them that particular (laughs) lovely assignation. I mean... (laughs) I've got a couple of friends of mine who are special forces guys who, 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 who decided they wanted to, to draw out a sniper in an Al Qaeda area to draw out this Al Qaeda sniper. So since they wanted to do it, they volunteered themselves to go be the target for the sniper. And they got on top of a rooftop and, and the sniper started shooting at them and they didn't realize it because they were being shot at by all kinds of other people as well and shooting back, and it was all noisy, and they got a call from the guys who were the counter sniper group who were saying, you guys stay down, you're getting shot at. And they didn't know it. They didn't know it. And so they dealt with this. I mean, these are actual intrepid warriors, and I'm sure there's people like this on Wall Street. They're like, they didn't lose their, their minds and freak out over emotion. They just like dealing with it as it was coming at them. And had they been in a board meeting, they would have been the guys who were like, okay, yes, we have this going on yeah. now. And certainly we should probably move our position now to be something yeah. else. Yeah. <laughs> <But> most people <laughs> would be losing it. <laughs> ah, <being shot. laughs>
0: I mean, Buffett does say, so, you know, you like to um, sell when people are greedy and buy when people are fearful. So he also uses the fear. Uh, he references fear. As well,
1: yeah, yeah, and, and I, I just like it as a at a category of what uh, a category of the event. In other words, it's if I can't figure out why these guys would be afraid, then the reason this is going down could be completely rational. I don't yeah. really trust. No, you're being right. Rational. The question,
0: the question to ask on a checklist or something, would be what is the other guy? Why is the other guy selling to me? What is the other guy worried about? Why does he want to get out of this thing permanently forever? And, and you have to know the answer to that.
1: Yeah, you do. And I think really it's a good, it's a good thing to be thinking in those terms Um, because you want to sort of avoid um, buying into things that, that there isn't, fear so much as an extremely good long-term reason why this is going down the tubes that any, a robot, you know, investor would exit this position fearlessly because the facts have turned against this company long-term.
0: Wait, you want to buy those companies or you want to not buy those companies?
1: No, we don't want to buy those. (laughs) If If a thing is terminal and that's, what's real important is we want to make sure that this event we can distinguish between events that are terminal and events which yeah, are temporary. Exactly.
0: Okay. I'm gonna stop you there. Let's come back next week and play Toby's question again and actually answer it.
1: And and try to yeah. answer it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Until then. Thanks everybody. Go play. Bye. Hi guys, thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information, including show notes and more episodes, visit us at InvestedPodcast.com. There's a special offer waiting for podcast listeners to attend my three-day investing workshop absolutely free. So just head to InvestedPodcast.com. Everything discussed on this podcast is either my opinion or Danielle's opinion and is not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I hope you enjoyed it.